Second Samuel chapter 16. Previous chapter described David's running away from Jerusalem. I say running away because that's what David says. Let us run away. One might have thought the king would put up a fight. Avshalom is coming towards Jerusalem with his army. David is in his city, the city of David, city of Jerusalem. Normally you would expect a fight. David's a great warrior. But surprisingly, David instructs his people not to fight, but rather to flee, to run away. And that's what they do. They follow the king. They run away. And David, who runs away in the previous chapter, encounters different people. It's interesting in this respect that one of the people he encounters in the middle of chapter 15 is a fellow named Itai. Itai is a Gittite. He comes from Gat, which is the land of the Philistines. He has 600 people with him. He's a great warrior. Later becomes one of David's generals in the war against Avshalom. And Itai comes to David. He wants to go with David, who's running away somewhere. And Itai says, I want to comes to the king. And David says to Itai, Loma In verse 19, why would you come with us? Go back to the king. He calls Absalom the king. Striking. Go back to the king. Go to Absalom. You are a foreigner, a nachri. And you're also in exile from your own land. In other words, what David says is, listen, this isn't your battle. This isn't your battle. It's not your struggle. You're an outsider here. Nochriyata may even have a second meaning because the Torah says when it talks about kingship, you can't appoint for yourself a foreigner as king. So in, in that sense, it has a double meaning. It's not your battle, go back. And on top of that, you're, you're not a threat to the king. You could never become the king. For you are a foreigner, you are a stranger. Nochriyata. Go back, do what's best for yourself and your people. This is not your fight. And Itai says to David, no. I swear by God, in verse 21, and I swear by my Lord the King, that wherever you go, I will go. Whether for life or death, your servant will be there. Says David to Itai, then come. Come to me. So you see in that story, it's a very critical moment in the story, that David essentially has given up. Go back to the king. But the support of Etai and his people, the loyalty shown by Etai the Gittite, that's very significant in the, in the story, David appreciates it. And the entire previous second half of the previous chapter is about this question, about David's resolve to become king again. It starts off with David giving up hope, but by the time the chapter is over, David has not only not given up hope, but David actually is beginning to set into motion a plan about how David will regain the kingship. This we'll encounter in a later chapter. But in our chapter, beginning of chapter 16, we have two more people that encounter David as David is fleeing from Jerusalem. The first of them in the beginning of our chapter, chapter 16, 
David Ovar Miat Meharosh, David passed a little beyond the summit. Vihinate Siva Nar Mifiboshet Likwato and Siva, the servant of Mifiboshet, came to greet him. We remember the story about Siva back in chapter nine. David had committed himself to doing Chesed, to show loyalty and kindness to the house of Saul and specifically to Jonathan. And David doesn't know if anybody's still alive in the house of Saul. He, he, so he asked Siva. Siva is the guardian, the executor of Saul's estate. Siva is a servant of the house of Saul, who himself was 20 servants, 15 children, 15 sons. And uh, he tells Siva, you now work for Mephibosheth, Jonathan's lame son. And now, after David leaves, suddenly, here's Siva. And Siva comes with provisions for David. Semed chamorim, chavushim, alayem matayim lechem, meyot simukim, meyot kayetz v'nevel yayin. So he came with, with a pair of saddled asses carrying 200 loaves of bread, 100 cakes of raisins, 100 cakes of figs, a jar of wine. He comes to demonstrate his support. And this is after the end of the previous chapter. David is now resolved to somehow return. He wants to become king again. He wants to return to Jerusalem. He initially had given up. And now suddenly, here comes Siva with provisions that David needs. David has his men. They need food. So the king said to Siva, what, what, is, what are you doing with these things? The asses are for your majesty's family to ride, to ride on. And the bread and figs for the attendants to eat, and the wine is drunk by any who are exhausted by the wilderness. In other words, I've brought you provisions for you and your army. And the king said, Where is the son of your master? That is to say, Where is Mephibosheth? How come he's not with you? Mephibosheth is in Jerusalem. He didn't want to come with me. For he says, or thinks, today, the people of Israel, now that David is gone, will restore to me the kingship of my father. I give you all that I have previously given to Mephibosheth. The estate is now yours. So Tziva says, bows down and says, Your majesty is most gracious to me. He thanks the king. Now, David has rendered judgment over here, finding Mephibosheth guilty for not going with him. This is a very troubling section. Mephibosheth is a very important character in the book of Shmuel. Jonathan's son. Jonathan's lame son. Now, there are two questions that can be asked over here, perhaps more than two. One is the king has rendered judgment without hearing the other side of the story. That's number one. The Talmud talks about the importance, as it understands the Torah, the importance of both parties being at the trial. You don't make a judgment when one of the two parties is absent. Number two, what Siva says is very troubling. First of all, it's hard to believe that Mephibosheth would think 
that now that Avshalom comes with his armies driving David out, and Avshalom is David's son, chief contender to become king in any event, who now is the support apparently of most of Israel, why in the world would Mephibosheth think that now the kingship will be returned to the house of Saul? If anything, it makes it even less likely because the sounds like Avshalom is even more powerful than David. That's number one. And number two, even assuming that Mephibosheth thinks such a thing, but those are the ravings of a madman. That why would who cares what he thinks? That's absurd. The chance of that actually happening is nil. So the king is rendering a judgment in a situation where it's highly unlikely that Mephibosheth thinks such a thought. And furthermore, we don't know what Mephibosheth thinks because he's not here. So David's decision-making over here is extremely problematic. Avshalom had blamed David for not doing Mishpat and Tzedakah, and here we have a good example of somebody who doesn't do Mishpat and Tzedakah. Now we can understand why David might make this decision. One of the factors is that Mephibosheth may be a lovely human being, but can't really help David. Tziva, by contrast, is bringing all kinds of supplies to David, and David needs the supplies. But I don't think that justifies it from a moral standpoint, this kind of decision-making. Very, very troubling. And the story of Mephibosheth will continue later on. We'll get to that in a later chapter. That's the first person that comes. And now we have someone else who greets uh, David, also from Benjamin, as is Tziva. And the next person, David at Bachurim, in verse number 5, And now a person came out from the house of Saul, Shimi ben Gera. This person who represents, comes from, and I suppose represents in a certain sense the house of Saul, comes out cursing. Not only cursing, but throwing rocks at David. Not only David, and all the servants of David. The people, David's strong men. Takes a certain amount of courage to do that. David's strong men are powerful, powerful people. And he throws rocks and curses. Go out, you criminal, you villain, you bloody man. God has repaid you for the blood of the house of Saul. The one you supplanted. And God turned the kingship to your son. On account of your wickedness. You are a bloody man. When Avishai, one of David's Giborim and Yoav's brother, hears this, he says to the king, Why should that dead dog curse the king? Let me take his head off. Says David, If he's cursing me, God, te- God tells him to curse me. That's what David says. The point is this. This story will reappear later as well. But there's one very important point here about Shimei, leaving out the fact that Shimei blames David for the death of the house of Saul. Let's leave that question out. But the core point, the core term 
that Shimi uses in verse number seven, in verse number eight, calls David Isha Damim a bloody man. Damim is blood. God has repaid you for the blood of the house of Saul. Your son's taking over because of your wickedness. Kiish Damimata, you are a bloody man. So the key phrase is Ish Damim. The fact of the matter is, leaving Saul out of the picture, that is why David is being exiled from Jerusalem. It's what Nathan the prophet had said. Back in chapter 12. Not necessarily for the crimes against the house of Saul, if there are crimes, but rather for the story of Uriah HaChiti. And the prophet Nathan said, I will establish evil from your own house. What's your own house? Avshalom. So the fact of the matter is what Shimi says is essentially correct. It's essentially true. And perhaps that's the reason David says, let him curse. God is telling him to curse me. This is a story we will revisit later on as well.